Hi everyone, Sammy here. Just want to give a quick heads up about this podcast. So we were so fortunate to get Adi Shankar on to chat to us. It was such an honor. We had such a fantastic time. It was so generous of Adi to give his time to talk to us. We really appreciated it. Charlotte gives a great introduction to Adi in the podcast, so I won't spend too much time on that. But just for the anime fans out there, he was the executive producer and showrunner of Castlevania on Netflix. But I'll let Charlotte explain further and the interview speak for itself as to what Addy has done. But it is quite extraordinary. He is an amazing guy. We cover many topics across this conversation, but we're mostly here to talk about Addy's new show, The Guardians of Justice on Netflix. But I just wanted to give a quick heads up that we recorded this over Zoom. So it's not the highest quality of audio, but I've done the best to make it sound as good as possible. And I think the content speaks for itself. If you forgive a slightly compressed bit of audio, I hope you will because we gained so much out of speaking to Addy, and I think you will too. So enjoy the podcast. Today, we're lucky enough to have a very special guest with us. We have Addy Shankar. Anime fans might know Addy from producing and showrunning Castlevania on Netflix and the upcoming Devil May Cry anime, but Addy has been reimagining worlds for a long time. His YouTube channel called Bootleg Universe began with unlicensed fan films reimagining the dark futures of things like Pokemon and the Power Rangers universe. Bootleg Universe has since become a fully-fledged media company and Addy has just released a brand new series called The Guardians of Justice, a satirical mixed-media series featuring what appears to be a rather familiar-looking superhero team but subverts expectations at every turn. Addy, thank you so much for joining us. How are you going today? Pretty fantastic. Yeah, that was a, that was a cool, <laughs> cool intro. Yeah. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> well, we've got a lot of cool things to talk about with you. And as we say, we're Sam and I are huge fans. We were beyond stoked that you agreed to come on and chat with us today. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm, I'm excited. Your logo is amazing, by the way. That is fucking rad. Man. That is fucking rad. Like, I could see mm. this on the cover of a Tashin book. Like gateway, you know, like after you guys have been doing this for like 20 years and you have like thousands of awesome, awesome guests, you know, then I'll, then I'll be excited to have like a blurb be like on this one day we interviewed Addy. <laughs> <laughs> I, I see that for us. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> I do too. Yeah. And I like was a fan of your you guys' Instagram page. It's like, that logo's awesome. These guys are awesome. Well, we're yeah. uh, huge fans. We're just so stoked that you agreed to chat to us today and um, so excited to ask oh, yeah. you many questions. I can look, look at my all the stuff I have. Got Berserk. Oh, Joe my Jones, gosh. Captain Harlock. <laughs> we've, oh, we've got a less impressive Earthbound. Naruto poster and My Hero. I swear we're not normies, but we do have two normie posters <laughs> behind us. But, you know. <laughs> I have to ask you because we are an anime podcast, but do you have a gateway anime? Like what got you into anime in general? Do you remember your first one or was there? I, I have no idea because when I was living in, in Hong Kong, when I first moved there from India, they had like English TV and it had like stuff from the UK and it was just kind of boring. And then when I watched like local TV, it was amazing because it was all like, it was all from like Japan. It was all like this, this like, it was like amazing stuff. Like for instance, just to, just to highlight the contrast, like when Sesame Street was on and I had like no interest in watching Sesame Street. I was like, this sucks. You had like Doramon <laughs> oh, wow. yeah, on yeah, at the same yeah. time. And I was like, I want to watch that. But Doramon was not in English. So I was like, 
okay, I have to learn this language in order to to consume this. Um, so it was kind of everything. I was exposed to everything. It wasn't, I wasn't experiencing a world in which there was like mainstream culture. And then like, I found some DVD somewhere or a video CD somewhere or a VHS tape. And that's what got me into the anime. I was like living mm. in a world where it was like this, it was, it was everywhere, right? All the kids had like Dragon Ball Z trading or Dragon Ball uh, trading cards. Uh, there were there were like Gundam posters everywhere. There was like models of Gundams everywhere. Like it was all around me. But the problem was there was a language barrier also because it was always not in English. Mm. Do you get asked like what is anime? Should shows that are made outside of Japan be called anime? You know, and how do yeah. you guys feel about that? Anime sort of like, well, means made in you know, Japanese cartoons. So I suppose, but anime inspired work like. You know, Castlevania and, and the like. I think more of it being done, the the better. You've proven it can be done and done well. I think so. the gatekeeping of that has changed when the world has become a bit more technologically kind of like you have like creators from all over the world coming together as opposed to kind of like when it was being discovered mm. for us personally from, you know, we were kind of like, oh, it's Japanese animation, that's anime. But now I think that the landscape has changed so much that everyone's influenced by everyone and that there are, you know, production companies working with Japanese animation houses. So that should technically be anime. It was animated over there. Yeah. So I think it's just become a little less kind of clear in that way. And that's probably a good thing. Totally. I agree with what you guys are saying. I think there's a macro problem with nomenclature within the entertainment industry. That's like always been an issue. And I should probably like have like preface this before any interview I do, but like sometimes interviews start and someone's like, Oh, what does a producer do? And every single time after that, like the interview just becomes really bad. Like it's like the worst interview I've ever given. Right. (laughs) (laughs) The problem is the entertainment industry, like even our job titles are non-descriptive because they're hand-me-downs from a bygone era. And more often than not, they're like negotiation points and they're not unilaterally indicative of any one role. So there's, so there's like this general, like kind of lack of clarity, um, of verbiage within the uh, entertainment industry that then spills over into confusion amongst the general population and marketplace. So I think we, we I totally. think when it comes to, you know, the animation versus anime conversation, I think we're just seeing another node of this nomenclature problem playing out. Totally. The way I see it, I see, I see both sides of the debate. I, I, I do, you know, I, I, and I don't have a horse in the race, so to speak, but, I think just practically speaking, we just need to invent more words. Mm. You know, we need, we need a word to describe adult animated content that comes out of France. You know what I mean? Like, what is that? (laughs) We have animators from emerging countries like India that, that need a word to protect their, and it's also, it's a form of protection, right? Because we need a word to protect their work from the cultural biases against cartoons. Yes. Yeah. hundred percent. Right. Because you've got like boomers with checkbooks who believe cartoons are for kids. So we need a word to explain to those people that, okay, well, we're not making a cartoon and we're not making porn. Because adult animation, like that is such a sloppy word. Like, you know, at, at, at a certain point, someone invented the word thriller. Like what, what kind of movie are you making? I'm making a thriller. Then someone went psychological thriller. (laughs) Someone went, no, no, this is a horror Mm. movie. No, this is a, you know, like we we invent we invent words and then yet all of a sudden it feels like here there there's just kind of a lack of 
terminology. And, you know, on some level, I don't feel like we should get hamstrung by the archaic construct of geographic borders because that, I mean, how long is that going to yes. last, right? Because if, yeah. it's, if it's tied yeah. too much to, uh, to, to, to geography, then, okay, well, that's going to become anachronistic, like in short order. 100%. The global artist community is is able to work together cross culturally because of the internet. So so we're even yes. blurring the lines of geographic origination of projects. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. So what would be helpful is a word that clearly delineates adult animated sitcoms, like sitcoms, like Archer, like Big Mouth, from action adventure shows yep. like Pacific Rim Black. You know. Uh, we need a mm-hmm. word that describes more psychedelic experimental art house projects like Midnight Gospel. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. um, there's a guy named LaShawn Thomas. We need a we need a word that describes what he does because it's like very specific. <laughs> like what he's doing is very, very specific. I, I think that would just generally help the uh, animation industry, the animation ecosystem globally uh, grow. Definitely. It's still so hard to recommend anything animated to people who would, I know, would love it. You know, I'm kind of like, you would love this amazing story about these amazing characters doing this thing. It's totally up your alley. And then as soon as I say, it's animated, that is shut off. And it's because, kind of like, yeah, it's, okay. It's like, weird because it's viewed as a genre. Like animation yeah. is a genre, right? Like, like versus what did they call Hitchcock? The master of suspense. They didn't call him the master of live action. Mm. <laughs> yeah, it was the master 100%. of suspense. Yes. It was like, like Miyazaki, his films, like there, there's something that he captures within all of them, right? And that's not really, again, to my knowledge, I, I, it has not been like boiled down into like a word other than saying Miyazaki-esque. So I guess that is a word. All right, I just proved myself wrong. The point still stands <laughs> <laughs> that uh, that animation is weirdly just viewed amongst like kind of an older an older demographic as being something that's either for kids or just a genre in and of itself, which Mm. is just not true. And then I feel like when you go to young kids who spend more time playing video games than they do watching movies or or binge watching uh, a series, I mean, most video games have some form of CGI Mm cutscene. So they're, they're getting indoctrinated with this, language of animation, a different type of animation, but again, animation nevertheless, yeah. right? So I think that just paves the way for animation to become like almost overnight, this globally dominant uh, medium, because, you know, we're going to have the, the, the Miyazaki style stuff. You're going to have the, um, like the almost photorealistic um, style style mm-hmm. stuff and it's like there's so many now buckets of vibes and possibilities within the animation word and I uh, within the, the 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 sphere of what animation is so I think just having again a lot of very specific words and also when do you draw the line at what's live action and what's actually animated if you have films that are using predominantly CG but using light, like it's kind of it gets so like it, the whole world is yeah like, at, like most films have got some kind of Graphic, computer graphic, oh. like a majority of the superhero films are absolutely. that. So where do you kind absolutely. of... Absolutely. No, absolutely. Like the process of making live action is becoming more and more like animation every year, right? Like in the past, yeah. movies used basic storyboards as a tool. But if you look at blockbuster movies today, they're mostly animated. Like in the like before the movie's even shot, they're animated, like both in the production process and in their execution. So for the pre-production process, blockbuster movies use complex animatics 
to pre-render uh, the film before an actor even steps into hair and makeup. This is the same pre-production what? process animation uses. Yeah. A lot of the characters in blockbuster movies now are animated, right? Iron Man, Rocket Raccoon. Those are lead characters mm -hmm. in big franchises. They're animated characters, you know, again, using a different oh. style of animation, but that's not so different than like uh, the genie, the genie in Aladdin. And while there were examples during the celluloid era of that used animated characters like Roger Rabbit, who framed Roger Rabbit, the integration was never seamless. So this is like Absolutely. a different, this is like a different thing altogether, you know? And I think, I think again, like to give the, some of the gatekeepers who are saying, well, that's not a movie and that's not cinema. Like what I think maybe what they're also responding to is the fact that like they're, they're watching something that's like predominantly con computer generated and somehow that, you know, is not reflective of the medium that they feel like they paved the, the way for, you know, so again, I'm putting myself in words. Yeah. It's like, it's like words. We spend so much time arguing when people are just saying the same thing. That's what it feels like. And part yes. of the problem is like, you know, yes. words, words, there's just not enough words. Thank you again for your time. We appreciate oh, how just, busy you dude, are. This and, is uh, so much fun. This is like so much fun. Yeah. So I've got a couple of questions, particularly about the Guardians of Justice, which we both just completed last week. And if you haven't seen it yet, please, please go watch it. It was such a cool show. So many fun, amazing things for fans to pick up on. So many good references. If you're an anime fan, you'll like it. If you're a superhero fan, you'll like it. And yeah, just, I really loved it. So, did you guys? Yeah. Did you guys enjoy the twist in episode seven? Without spoiling what the twist is, a hundred percent. Did you see the twist coming? No, not at all. That that, that really got me by surprise. Yeah. That was not what I was expecting. And I knew a twist was coming because Sam was a bit before me watching, <laughs> and he's like, "There's a twist," and I was like, "Oh my god, there's a twist!" Like, I'm, and then I did not see it coming, even knowing a twist was coming. So there you go. <laughs> you know, when I was like a teenager, I'm like, "I'm gonna go to Hollywood and make films." They would just look at me and just stare at me and be like, oh, like M. Night Shyamalan. They would just, like, everyone said the same thing. Oh, like M. Night Shyamalan. <laughs> oh and I, like, developed this, like, hatred towards M. Night Shyamalan. Like, I, not, not that he didn't do anything to me. This is, it's just like I was still used to, like, people staring at me. Pause, 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 pause. Oh, like M. Night Shyamalan. And I'm like, and I went, you know what? I'm not, like, I'm going to do nothing like M. Night Shyamalan. This is, no, I'm not M. Night Shyamalan. We're different <laughs> yeah. people. What are you talking about? And then I go and make a thing with a with a twist at the end, just like M. Night Shyamalan. That, that was like a very, very like M. Night Shyamalan move. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> it's like the most M. Night Shyamalan thing I could have possibly done. It worked incredibly well because it was, yeah, really without spoiling it for all the fans, uh, very much not what I was expecting. And it was really cool. It was dark. Again, without spoilers, but it was dark and it was cool. Honestly, and same with the ending. I didn't see that coming either. It was it really does subvert many, many expectations that we have, particularly for superhero genres and stuff like that. So yeah. it's rad. I'm I'm super grateful that you guys uh responded to it. No, it was awesome. So I mean, I guess you've been working on this project for over six years. Yeah. So yeah. how did this idea come to you? It, it came from a dark place. Uh you know, I'd, I'd experienced depression a couple of times uh in my in my in my life. And in 2014, I started getting like really, really, really depressed. And it made zero sense because I was at the peak of the first, arguably at the peak of the first act of my career. You know, also there was like fears around turning 30. It was just, there was just like a lot, lot, lot happening. And I didn't realize that I was actually like clinically depressed. Just, I couldn't, it was hard to get out of bed. Like everything just felt really heavy. I felt really sad. I felt very alone. It's just like nothing could, could cure it. 
And then finally, uh, I went and saw a doctor and the doctor took one look at me and said, dude, you're depressed. Like, we got to put you on something like right away. And I'm like, okay, well, what is it? And they said, well, it's a thing called Zoloft. Nothing happens right away. But then like within a few hours, all of a sudden it started feeling like Wizard of Oz. Things became colorful all of a sudden, like colors started coming back. You know what I mean? Like I felt hopeful again. And as that was happening, because I'm a nerd, (laughs) (laughs) I went, well, well, what would have happened if I was Wolverine and my body couldn't metabolize the Zoloft because, you know, Wolverine can't get drunk because he's got that healing factor, right? But, you know, Wolverine's healing factor is also psychological. So Wolverine probably wouldn't get depressed. And then I immediately went, well, what about Superman? Like, what if Superman was dealing with this? And he's an alien. So, like, it's not like big pharma's out trying to, like, sell Superman (laughs) stuff. Because the economic benefit of selling prescription medication to Superman is a a pretty small market. (laughs) And, uh, yeah, that's where the idea came from. The second part of that is obviously the detective story. At that point in my life, again, we're talking 2014, 2015, Phil Juano, who's an amazing filmmaker, we, we did uh, the Punisher Dirty Laundry short film together. Phil uh, was a mentor to me, and he really loved detective stories. Thomas Jane, uh, who played the Punisher, again, legendary actor, uh, Tom and I used to spend a fair bit of time <laughs> together back then, and he was really into detective stories. I had a, another gentleman who worked with me named Richard, more of a behind the scenes guy. Richard, like he, he would always talk about LA Confidential and other detective stories. And so I was around these older men who love detective stories. And on some level, you you make things for like your friends. And I wanted yes. to like make a detective yes. story for them because because at the same time, all these people love detective stories, but would complain about superhero stories. You know what I mean? They're like superheroes. There. I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to do a, a detective story. And, and it's going to be very personal. So you all have to watch it. Otherwise, I'll like guilt trip you into like, you know what I mean? <laughs> you guys want to watch a show about what I was going through? They're like, yeah, totally. Here you go. <laughs> you know what I mean? So the Guardians of Justice really felt like an extension of the YouTube channel for Bootleg Universe. But how does it feel to now have a completely different audiences, like on Netflix compared to your YouTube audience? This show very much feels like an extension of all those like pirated unauthorized cease and desist inducing fan films that i was doing (laughs) right which it absolutely is it comes from the exact same place when i started the process i didn't necessarily go oh this is going to be a this is going to be on netflix i don't know if netflix puts it on a bigger platform or uh, an equally big platform right because like youtube's free yeah. Right. So anyone totally. can watch it. Now it's behind a paywall. So I don't know if it's like, if it necessarily felt like a bigger platform, it just feels very different. I personally like it because I think it's funny that like I made a fan film and <laughs> now it's like, <laughs> now it's on an official thing. You know what I mean? And they're like taking it very seriously and like, yes, your, your show's coming out. And I'm like, oh yes, my very serious uh show <laughs> you know it's like there's there's a there's a meta joke here it's like i'm not trying to hide the parallels you know to, no, to like batman and superman and that kind of thing because those you know probably shouldn't have said that out loud 100%. they're definitely gonna like play that in like like i'm gonna be in court one day and they're gonna literally play that clip and that's like an exhibit. <laughs> like what i just said uh, so obviously this is a very heavily mixed media project and one which i don't think People are used to seeing at this scale. But this is obviously a way of incorporating your love of, of 
anime and video games and and wrestling and all these sorts of millennial things, you know? I mean, obviously in episode five, I think, when Z fights Marvelous Man, very much a Dragon Ball Z moment in there. Was there any particular anime that kind of influenced you in making this or throwing in there? Like, I have to put this one in there. Or was it just kind of a general feel? I mean, I think the whole thing is a live action. It's a cartoon. And then when it pivots into into Mm. live action, it's still like a cartoon. I mean, it's not like these actors are giving like grounded performances. I mean, they're, they're, they're very emotionally present and they're, they're bringing it on that level. Again, uh, I brought on like some pretty dope actors who agreed to do this. They were directed to, to play it big, much like a cartoon. So I I would say the whole show is inspired by animation, uh, by globe, by, by global animation. And it's an homage to global animation. hundred percent. I think I saw a video of yours recently. You're talking about uh, the Saturday cartoons and you can see so much of that in the animation style. You're right. I think it's such an interesting thing to, to explore because it was a big part of people our ages childhood. And I think it was so cool seeing that. Yes, absolutely. So I don't know if Spider-Man and his amazing friends uh, would necessarily hold up. Like, I don't know if the generation that watched that cartoon as kids would then in adulthood go back and revisit it. Um, but like, dude, the X-Men animated series is still awesome. So it's good. still the good, best. right? So you're like, why, <laughs> so the, why the fuck did this, did this go away? Like, did you expect us to like stop liking this and now graduate into watching like period dramas? I mean, <laughs> I'm like, I don't understand. Like, Bring me more X-Men, the animated series. And I'm so glad it's coming back. 100%. Probably the best theme song. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Why was that not even in the the, the movies? You know, it was like when the Halo games stop using the Halo theme. And you're like, (laughs) yeah, like, so it's like, like, what next? Like the next Mortal Kombat game doesn't involve fighting. Like, (laughs) (laughs) you mentioned that you wanted to make a love letter to uh, American pop culture. And you wanted to challenge the perceptions of the superhero genre. But to me also, that challenge kind of felt like it extended to the American cultural aspect too. Like, was was there a criticism of American cultural hegemony? Like, was that a theme you wanted to convey? Or is that me kind of reading too much into it? You know, I was trying to capture what it felt like coming to visit America. Because I came and visited America when I was like eight. And it was like this amazing place. So many colors. So just just so much. Even like the commercials were awesome. It was simultaneously like very chaotic, but very fun. And I was trying to, I was trying to like really capture that. Totally. That that feeling of, of, of guests. But also like, you know, there was something funny about watching any American president speak as an outsider because, you know, they were all very eloquent and stuff, but they all also, to me, sounded no different than a professional wrestler. Mm-hmm. You know, because there, there is an element of like, you're getting 100%. up there being like, we are the best. We're the best now. We're the best there there is, the best there was, the best there ever will be. And you're just like the best, the best, the best. But you're like broadcasting it worldwide, right? So other people are like eating popcorn, like, they clearly think they're the best. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so there's like there's like there's a there's a humor there. There's a humor there. And even like the, the way the American president speaks in the show, like I literally just gave him John Cena dialogue. <laughs> totally. You know, like course. like yes. John Cena would yes. the ring be like, if you want some, come get some. I'm like, huh. The crowd loves that. It doesn't really make any sense, uh, but the crowd loves it. <laughs> <laughs> I could totally <laughs> I was like, well, you funnier if the president says it. I'm a huge wrestling fan from from the I mean my two eras Attitude Era mm-hmm. and the Invasion Era man just and DDP of course you know so good to see him given such a great role yeah 
in, in media like this. And he was so incredible. I thought it was absolutely fantastic. It's just so cool to see this represented. There are a couple things as an outsider. Quick backstory, like I was born in India, but then I grew up between like Hong Kong and Singapore and spend a little bit of time in the US and just moving around, moving around, moving around all over the world, right? So I simultaneously feel like somewhat like an American, but I also feel like an outsider at the same time. So it gives me this outsider perspective. One of the things that I never understood was it almost felt like a hatred towards wrestling. People would almost get angry that wrestling existed, you know, but I'm like, how is this any different <laughs> yeah. than any other form of entertainment? It's the same, yeah. the same thing. And like people would go on about how it's fake. And you're like, well, obviously it's fake. Like that dude's like dead and he comes back to life and he's pairing his, his brother who shoots fireballs alive. Like that's not that, like, what are you talking about? But they would get like really upset about it. You know what I mean? They're like, that's fake. Yeah. You're like, okay, dude, calm down. <laughs> I know. And then, um, and I just, I didn't get it. And then I think as time went on, um, I, I felt like there was almost like, it was almost like an element of snobbery mm. um, because wrestling in a lot of ways, it's, 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 it's blue collar theater. The audience is very blue collar or at least was historically. So in a way it's, it's like a rejection of blue collar culture and blue collar art. Yeah. So I found that I found that oh, kind yeah. of interesting. But then also when you talk about like our generation, that just didn't apply, right? Like like I thought rednecks were awesome. Stone Cold is amazing. <laughs> yes. I'm like, I want to meet rednecks. This, is the best. <laughs> this guy's awesome. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I didn't know what a redneck was. I didn't, you know, they were like, I'm like, oh yeah, I want to be a redneck. This is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> and like a lot of the the caricatures that were embodied in, in wrestling. Again, I didn't have the con I didn't have the social connotation. So I just thought it was all cool. I'm like, oh, that's awesome. So inherently theatrical. Yeah. You're yeah. right. Which lends itself so well to to a mixed media project like like Guardians. I feel like that kind of um, idea of the wrestling and snobbery around it is interesting. I feel like people had that for comic books and superhero things about 15 years ago and now it has become kind of the mainstream sort of cinema. There is still that. You know, there's like gatekeeping. Yeah. Like, what is a movie? I'm like, what? <laughs> like the older generation wants to play like Oxford Dictionary. They're like, well, you know, it may be 90 minutes long, but it's not a movie. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like creating new words is helpful. So older generations mm. can still hang on to, you know, their nomenclature. And then all of a sudden there's like, it, so we're, it's like we're constantly creating new things and then like naming them versus creating things and then not naming them. And then all of a sudden there's like a, debate as to like whether it's this old thing or if it's not this old thing we'll just call it and call it a new thing you know yeah yeah, yeah kind of yeah. again well, again again, again like professional wrestling sports entertainment that was like a new word that was created yes. to say no no okay well it's not that now it's this this is a new thing you said that once in an interview that you were on a crusade to make animation viewed on the same level as serious dramatic entertainment yeah. is what we're talking yeah. about so that quote really resonated with us and one of the reasons we we actually started this podcast was to kind of break down the stereotype that that animation is is just for kids definitely that feels to me like part of the motivation for making this project right like kind of just being like this isn't just for kids comic books that's low culture you know in, inverted quotation marks it just feels like this is can be anything as you're saying you don't need to label things mm. it can just be and i think you did that so well in oh, guardians thank you you know there was another thing i was playing with in guardians there's like an a movie aesthetic like a like an a movie production like look at like jurassic park and then you also have like a b movie aesthetic or a c movie aesthetic you guys know what i mean right like when i yeah, say that totally those are just choices sure. those are literally just choices 
I also found it confusing that the general public uh, associates the A movie aesthetic as good and the B movie aesthetic as as bad when those are just choices. They're, they're literally just just choices. It's like, okay, am I going to wear my hair with hair gel or not? So I wanted to challenge that with the the, the Guardians of Justice. You know, I wanted to make something that was like philosophical, politically layered, uh, morally nuanced, but but really just paint it with. <laughs> with this this B movie veneer to create the mm. feeling of like uh, uh, trashy fun, totally, you know? totally. I think uh, one thing that struck me was that it was mixed media, which is as we were saying before, like you rarely see it in long narrative form. And even though the references were there and everything, it just like the incredibly like the uniqueness of the show really stood out. It was like quite original. I appreciate the statement. I was just trying to do something that reflected how I experienced reality. Like my memories feel very like mixed media. Um, it doesn't feel like there's like a consistent tone happening all the time, whether it's like a positive memory, a, a negative memory, like like a more surreal moment versus a, a darker moment. The people that know me very well who've watched the show go, wow, this is exactly what having a conversation with you feels like. <laughs> so I was able to kind of capture that and meld it with the experience of like immigrating and experiencing America for the first time where you're like, whoa, there's all this like cool stuff. And I lived in these amazing cities and these amazing places, but I'd also like lived in these cultures, which were uh, pretty homogenous. You know, you, you, you had like kind of a lane and everyone kind of stuck to it. You didn't have really like wacky characters. Then all of a sudden I come to this place that's like hyper individual. It's all about the individual and all about the individual expressing their individuality. Right. Which was like, Amazing. Totally. I noticed that the series has had a lot to say about modern media and the means of communication. So, in, and you know, we're talking about before about what a movie is thought to be. Like, what are your thoughts on where current global media trends are, are heading? I mean, do you see things changing? I mean, streaming services have changed everything. Do you see another change on the horizon coming? Is that something you're looking to to utilize or exploit? Um, Something I'm looking to exploit uh, <laughs> for my own for my own gain. Yeah, look, I think the world in ten years just just is going to be completely unrecognizable. Like we think streaming has changed a lot, and obviously it has. Um, you know, once once people have contact lenses that are basically TV screens, once people have uh, brain 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 augmentation, um, it, it's just a different, completely different ballgame. Like the concept of like what is media will be reexamined. Did that make any 100%. sense? What I just said? No, no complete totally, yeah, hundred percent. And yeah, it's and it's weird. It's exciting and terrifying. But yeah, it's terrifying. Time, yeah. Like you know, like will people really care about you know the MCU when there's like a light density hologram that you can zap into and experience and then just kind of zap out? Like I think all really streaming has done so far has changed how we consume media. And how it's distributed, and the rather the economics around how it's distributed and how it's marketed. We haven't really seen like a huge paradigm shift in how it's made, other than it's all made digitally, which is which is great. But we're still making it like it was made before the digital revolution, for the most part. I mean, for, for the most part, I, I, obviously there are exceptions, and in a lot of ways, Guardians of Justice felt more like making a video game than it did making a, a like a TV show mm. because you know it was all made mostly made on a computer and mostly made it in post-production uh, which was just kind of cold collating all these assets and cutting them together but yeah I think the very nature of what is entertainment what is media 
it, it's about to go through another paradigm shift because the human experience is about to go through a paradigm shift. So how can it not, you know, change everything? I did want to ask you one quick question. Yeah. Whenever I've seen people try and adapt video games to not video games and to be like a feature film or a TV show, particularly when it's live action, I found that it's there's, it's been very, very difficult to actually kind of make that work. Yet now I think that animated series of video games seem to be the ones that have really hit it. And obviously you are experiencing that as someone who ad- adapts a lot of video game content. Do you know, do you have any kind of feelings as to why are things like Arcane and Castlevania are the things that have been taking off for video game adaptations? Uh, any theories on that? <laughs> Oh man, I could talk for hours about this. Um, but I feel like on, on one hand, right? You know the movie It, this, this, the Stephen King movie, right? And then uh, the movie series, the Harry Potter movie series. They, they both come from books, but you wouldn't go like, oh, they're so similar. No, so true. it's the same thing with, with video games. There's no one size fits all thing, you know? And then, and, and sometimes, and sometimes like, and because and each, just like every book is completely different. Every game is completely different. Yeah. Some games have like really strong characters, but no lore. Mm. Some games are all lore without strong characters. Some games are like more of like an engine, you know, mm. where there's, it's like a great engine. There's an awesome mechanic there. So again, I, don't, I just don't think there's like one size. There's not a one size fits all approach. Yeah. Yeah. Arcane, Arcane really blew my mind. I, I was, I was, I'm not a League of Legends player at all, but and I don't know anything about that lore. But I just couldn't believe how how much I was able to get into it so quickly. Because again, it's just good storytelling, good characters, good lore. Yeah, it was you know that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And visually, it looked like phenomenal, phenomenal, incredible. It's weird because I feel like video game companies should just be making their own movies and TV shows. Yes, Mm. yes. Because there was a way in which Hollywood used to exist in in like not not in the streaming era, but I'm talking like pre-streaming era, where they were like making a product, but then just kind of repackaging it. Repack- yes, so, okay, yes. we're going to make this product this week with Tom Cruise. Okay. And we're going to repackage it and make it with Tom Hanks. Okay. And obviously there were a few exceptions, right? Like you get a few artists who, who broke through and got to make like original groundbreaking stuff. But for the most part, most of it was there to like fill distribution slots. Like they weren't, they weren't doing this yes. to be mean or evil. Like they had these distribution slots and they had to like, like program for these movie theaters. So, you know, oh, okay, we yeah. know that a thriller, we, okay, uh, in, in February, thrillers really work and thrillers with Halle Berry and Julianne Moore work. Okay, so we're going to make another one of those. And so they were like following blueprints, right? And that's very hard to like take a blueprint like that. And then, and then, and then all of a sudden like slot in this other, this other thing, like this, this game and then kind of slot it into this, this blueprint. And be like, okay, well, yeah. okay, so, but we, what we really need is a r- romantic comedy. Do you think? Do you think Halo would work? Would Halo work for that? <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm being silly, but you get the point. Like, yeah, you know, um, you know. Again, what I'm really trying to say is, if you go back to like pre-streaming, live-action adaptations of video games posed a challenge, but a lot of it has to, had to do with the business mechanisms that dictated what got made and how it got made rather than being a fault with the medium of the medium of film and TV in and of itself, right? It's simply the case mm. that the apparatus that governed live action filmmaking was calibrated in a way that made it difficult for a specific type of project with a large scale budget and an offbeat tone to get, to get made. And thank you for 
making interesting, different boundary pushing work. We will continue to follow it very closely. We are such fans of yours and we're so thankful for you joining us. It was so much fun. It was so interesting. I had, I, I, had honestly, a, I had a great you. time. I had a great time talking to you guys. I had a great time. Thank you. Thank you so much. Hopefully, you know, hopefully yeah. we'll one day start a cult together. But until then, I... Let's do it. We'll, we'll, uh, <laughs> honestly, man. Thank you. Thank you so Thank much. you. Thank you, guys. Thank you so Bye. Thank you. Bye. Hello, hello, hello. Sammy here from the Gateway team. Just a little bit of housekeeping. I just want to say thank you so much to all the fans of the show who've been with us since the start and welcome to anyone who is newly joining us. We appreciate so much of the love and support that we've received from all of you over the last few seasons. And we'd especially like to thank our patrons who have been kind enough to help us with the podcast. And if you'd like to become a patron of our show, you can head over to www patreon.com forward slash gateway to anime. Every little bit helps and it means the absolute world to us. So thank you to all of you who have done and thank you to all of you for listening to the show. If you'd like to get any news of the podcast, you can head over to www.gatewaytoanime.com. And if you want to find us on any social media platform, you can just search gateway to anime and you will find us. Thanks so much. 